Good morning, everybody. This is Mike Roush hosting once again Under the Covers. Um, and with me today is Tom Grundy, the editor-in-chief of Free Press. Yeah, that still sounds weird, editor-in-chief. But, you know, if you invent a company, that's the quickest way to, uh, to become the boss. You just call yourself editor-in-chief. So I've got two companies and I'm the CEO of both. Yeah, easy. It is. Just <laughs> Great pay the promotion. annual fee. Yep. Yeah. Right. So that brings us, in fact, right into our first topic, is, which is the future of the media mm. here in Hong Kong. Um, you're online. In fact, you're only online, aren't you? Yeah, we're not crazy. Um, we did consider doing some sort of limited print sort of run, but you know, maybe at weekends or something like that. But this is how the majority access their news now, and not even uh, through the website, but through social media coming into the website. Right. I mean, we've we've listed here of some of the newspapers that were in print mm. and have gone out of print. Now, uh, in recent months. Well, um, funnily enough, Sing Pao came back yesterday after a week or two off. Um, and Hong Kong Daily News, that, that folded a, cu- a couple of weeks ago. Right. Um, and we see now Next Media change its name to Next Digital. There are rumours that um, we might lose the print edition of Apple Daily because, you know, these tend to be sort of lost leaders. They just don't make money. I, Hong Kong has, in terms of per capita, too many newspapers, arguably. So the Hong Kong Journalists Association has actually said there's probably going to be more casualties this year. I, this, uh, there is something that's happened, isn't there? Because I'm getting uh, CNN free, hmm. I'm getting BBC free, I'm getting RTHK free, and with your introduction today, I'm going to be getting... <laughs> Hong Kong Free Press. <laughs> Hong Kong free. free Press for free. Free in many ways. Um, I get a, one English-language newspaper free. Hmm. I pay for one weekly magazine, which... Maybe there's no harm in saying he's the Economist, um, and and uh, I pay for one English language newspaper. See, the, the Economist and the FT they do something different. Yeah. It's, they can monetize it, but people are used to free news now. How do you put yeah. the genie back in the bottle? And this debate has been going on for a decade or so. Because um, how do you how do you make money now? So and and even the advertising, you know, is collapsing and people are in trouble. So it's not just a question. We as a new online media source are. A, 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 are being asked. I mean, we're a non-profit, so the uh, the pressure is somewhat off. But, you know, it, it, it's a question that can be asked of even the biggest media in Hong Kong and beyond, how, how to uh, make this sustainable, because journalism is expensive. Now, I've got those uh, websites that I've mentioned uh, on my favourite bar, on my computer. Mm. But you were telling me before we uh, started the show that, uh, in fact, most people get on uh, their news via other social media. Yeah, it's funny because your approach is probably the most sensible in that you get a true overview of everything that's happening and you've gone to multiple news sources. Um, it's probably because I'm several generations Yeah, behind. but it's how we did it like 10 years ago. Nowadays, many people, and we can see through our, uh, our sort of analytics and, and with any newspaper and their website, people are coming in from mostly Facebook. Hong Kong has the highest penetration of Facebook um, users in the world uh, and smartphone. So... Um, you know, the vast majority of traffic, there is somewhat reliance on Facebook. The problem with it is that the stories that you see on your news feed uh, tend to have been, you know, presented to you or boosted into your uh, into your feed because people have engaged with them. They've liked them, clicked on them, uh, commented on them. And, um, and likewise, the algorithm, as, as they call it, uh, learns your habits. So it will show you more of what you've liked, clicked on and commented on. And what happens, you, you tend to end up in, in your own sort of walled garden politically mm, that, and you tend to see more stories of 
the things like, that you've been clicking on. Like, and, that, you know, that, if you're liberal, you're not going to be seeing any Fox News and Daily Mail eventually. Right. Whereas uh, the people who watch Fox News um, already hate Obama. They won't, they won't see any <laughs> of The Guardian or, you know, MSNBC. Right. Well, that's, um, that's so a it's very, a problem that, uh, you know, and, 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 and monetizing, you know, putting your news out onto Facebook. And they're now talking about... Uh, actually hosting all of the news articles within Facebook because they don't want people clicking out of the ecosystem. Um, so, so this reliance, I mean, what, if, if, if you're going to get into bed, I suppose, with Facebook, what if you need to do a story on Facebook? Um, mm. it's, it's a problem because we're becoming increasingly reliant on it driving traffic to the websites and yet uh, the visibility of our posts that we put onto the platform and for any other news platform is being eroded because... They are trying to push us and other news media and anyone with a, a fan page on, on Facebook to pay for visibility to boost those posts mm. into people's news feeds. So um, it's, it's ending up costing you know, more. How do you make money on a recurrent basis? As, as online news? Yes. Um, well, you know, as we've said over the years, everyone has been experimenting and trying to you know, find a solution to this issue that no, the readers are no longer paying for it. Um, and we've seen folks experiment with uh, uh, online advertising, native advertising, um, sponsorship, uh, doing events. Uh, a lot of news media make, make decent money doing that. Merchandise, things like these. We're doing all of it. We've got not, uh, 10 different income streams that we're slowly bringing online um, from events, advertising, you know, merch. We accept Bitcoin, micro donations um, and crowdfunding. Thought That's thought been our main thing. I always thought Bitcoin was a bit of a fraud, actually. Well, we just want to make it as easy as possible for people to uh, to donate. And uh, I don't think there's been many interactions on the Bitcoin thing. But no. uh, it's another option, basically. We want to make it as easy as possible. Yes. Um, I mean, you can buy tickets um, for concerts now with Octopus. So, isn't, you know, there a, isn't there a danger here, and I think you've alluded to it, that, in fact, people are not going to have a broad perspective and a mm. variety of sources, that they're gradually going to be whittled down so that the that people who, who like fishing are only going to be yeah. reading stories about so fishing. Well so even when you Google, if you Google something, um, Mike, you might get slightly different results to me because even Google is tailoring its algorithm and its results to, to your search history and what you, whatever really? you might be. Really? Uh, I, don't, I don't know how worried you need to be. But, um, I expect the police to be knocking on the yeah. door tonight. But it, it, and it will, also give, it will also bias your results towards you know, where you're searching from. Mm. Um, so in a way, although it, it, it feels slightly outdated somehow, the fact that you are purposefully, you know, going to a variety of news sources, that's, that's probably the, the best way of doing it. Because <laughs> I'm so far behind the curve yeah. that I'm actually doing the right thing. Well, that makes a change. In a it? sense. And maybe while we're, we're in the air of media, maybe the big uh, story this week, one big story this week, was, of course, the appointment of a new uh, director of broadcasting. For You've RTHK. got a new boss. Yes, we do. Um, and, of course, he's an old hand, experienced. Mm -hmm. uh, the questions people are asking, of course, is will he be able to resist uh, political pressure? Yeah. But that, it seems to me that that would apply less to him than maybe to an administrative officer like we had before. A civil yeah. servant is, is, is mm. sort of directly susceptible to instructions by his boss. That was the concern with, with, with the current fellow. Um, yeah, but it's also resisting, I think, 
uh, a big gaffe, and I, I understand that's why he left ATV and false report of uh, Zhang Jimin. Uh, yeah, because he, he wasn't. They've just the, been fined, I understand, hundreds yeah. of thousands of dollars. Yes, I saw that. But he, he wasn't the source of it, but he was mm. sort of. He was told this is the big news of the of the evening. Yeah, he he won't. He said, "You can put a gun to my head. I won't tell you the source." Mm. So, um, who knows how legit? But uh, yeah, it, that that is somewhat of a, a mark against him, and that's been well. On the other hand, you today. could say, well, he's he's learned that lesson the the hardest possible way. It was yeah. made made to look foolish and had to had to resign. So, so I mean, yeah. certainly it happens, and you know we've made mistakes. We've had to put a, a couple of corrections out. It happens every day. You see. Uh, um, a lot of stories are updated, you know, so-and-so mm-hmm. time as, as more things come in. But uh, I think there was one study um, eight or nine years ago which said there are factual errors in about 70% of newspapers, you know, small small things. That was a massive one, though, you know, with ATV. Yes. <laughs> doesn't get much bigger. Jang Zemin is dead. Yeah. Oh, no, he oh, isn't. Dear. Oh, yes, he is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're in the whole realm of... Uh Christmas pantomime. Yeah. All right, so we got on to I wonder to if we'll see you next week. We got on to the future of the media. Uh, that's really a big one. Um, mm. how, how are we going to survive? How are we going to have competing sources, different views out there? We need diversity. That's, that's partially right. what we're about because no, there isn't no. really enough of it uh, on the English side. But uh, Right. Of course, the other, the other big story this week, or one of the other big stories this week, if we got... Um, uh, minister coming from Manila to talk about foreign domestic helpers uh, in Hong Kong and the way they're treated, uh, mm. meeting our minister, uh, Matthew Jung, to discuss the treatment of foreign domestic what do we What do we think about the way Hong Kong treats well, them? F- full disclosure, I, I run an NGO, HK Helpers Campaign, and was quite uh, close to this issue, especially during the Ariwana um, case. And you know, from the outside looking in, it's huge international news. Um, there's a lot of noise made when you see those high-profile cases. There was Kartika, a case before that, an Indonesian lady. Um, and, you know, the media spotlight moves on, things settle down, nothing changes. You still have these uh, huge, archaic, uh, you know, rules in Hong Kong with regards to the two-week rule, um, the living rule, um, which multiple, you know, NGOs and... And, and, you know, watchdogs and other governments and the UN even mm-hmm. have, have said that Hong Kong needs to sort out. Um, they're coming mostly, uh, this delegation, to talk about uh, the situation with, with agency fees. And, um, you know, many domestic workers are indebted uh, when they come over, often have to work off uh, debt for five, six months, particularly Indonesians. But they've tried to rein it in. In the Philippines, the, the fact is it's still happening and a lot of the agencies are finding ways around it. Uh, the, the, the limits they put on um, uh, training fees, agency fees, before you start work here. Um, this, but, is, this is agencies at the other end, in the mm, source countries. It's not agency in Hong Kong. It's agencies um, back home in the Philippines, but there seems to be some collusion with agencies here and moneylenders uh, that entrap domestic workers in, in these uh, situations. And of course, if you're indebted and your family are relying on remittances to be sent home, then it's very unlikely that, that you will be able to escape abusive situations. And that's why we've had these high-profile cases. But uh, the Philippines, at least, has tried to rein in some of the more egregious uh, situations with with overcharging um, unlawful agency fees. They put a limit on it, um, I think a couple of thousand Hong Kong dollars, but 
they find ways around it. Um, you know, little things like they'll charge you for a compulsory T-shirt you have to wear on the flight or you get, um, you get middlemen crop up whereby you can only get in touch with these agencies by paying somebody else. So all these kind of convoluted workarounds. I saw some extraordinary numbers of, of, of uh, chargeable in Indonesia for teaching people how to iron clothes, mm. th- things like this. So it can be something like $15,000 and you go to this training school and that supposedly teaching you Cantonese as well, as, as well as, you know, scrubbing floors and, yeah. and things like that. And I think it go on, can go on for a few months. Um, but many have complained, you know, that the, the quality of the training and what they're paying for, you know, it just doesn't add up. Uh, and, of course, there's this big issue of, of people borrowing at this end, ne- never mind how they got off to a bad start, but people mm. do borrow at this end and whether they're allowed to keep their travel documents, whether the... Uh, loan organisations want to keep their travel documents as security. Uh, it's often the employers who keep them. Um, so, but but you'll also see advertising that is targeted towards domestic workers, and they give away phones and and other you know gizmos and gadgets you know, you to entrap people in, into more debt. You mentioned employers there, which is interesting because my wife always keeps. She doesn't keep the passport, mm. but what she says is, I want to see it every month. Um, on payday, right? To make sure that in fact it hasn't been left with a with a loan. Oh, of course. Well, that's great. Yeah. And then if if you are in any trouble, mm. ask me. Well, many employers uh, aren't aware, and then they get a knock on the door, or they get pressured um, because their domestic workers have become indebted because right, they they're often looking after you know four or five people back home. It goes a long way, particularly if you're coming from rural areas of of Indonesia, in particular mm. Filipinos tend to be uh, more, more middle class, the, but they're coming from right, quite the, Then the triad collector turns up at your front door and mm. starts writing nasty threats in, in Chinese characters. It, it, it happens. But Hong Kong still remains a very, very popular destination, doesn't it, for these workers? This is the sad fact. It's still one of the least worst places when you compare it to what goes on in the Middle East, in Singapore, in places in Malaysia. Uh, at least people here get a day off. Um, often that isn't the full 24 hours they're entitled to. Um, but it, it can still be a very attractive option when, you're, when your opportunities are limited and, and you know, you, you're coming from uh, quite a rural um, background in, 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 say, Java or whatever, coming here, you know, look at Ariwana's situation. Um, in terms of education and, and where you're coming from there, it's, it's an attractive option. And mm. you, people often go back and they set up businesses. They save up their money and it can be good for communities. When it works... You know, it's great. I don't think many are calling for, certainly the middle class rely here on, you know, domestic workers. We're not calling for the whole idea to be scrapped. Um, they are the engine of the middle class here. They enable double income households and, um, you know, for for both husband and wife or whomever to, to go out and earn an income. Because, you know, the rent is very high in Hong Kong, so it's necessary. I can, I can see people looking at this live-in rule because... Uh I'm, I'm fortunate. Uh, many years ago, I bought a property in Hong Kong, so I got on the ladder mm. and it was just about doable. So our helper can live in and, and quite comfortably. But a lot of places are pretty small and don't have a separate proper room for the help. Mm. Well, here's the thing. It's become easier and easier because the threshold of income for, to, that, that is allowable for you to uh, hire a domestic worker has not really changed. So... 
um, people who previously may not have been able to afford a domestic worker in terms of the setup they have in their home if they've actually got a you know a, a room available because domestic workers aren't meant to be sleeping in cupboards or in the living room or with the children um, the guidelines aren't really clear in contracts so they just say you know something about it being a livable space um, space is limited in Hong Kong and yes most domestic workers um, are actually happy living in mm. but what what should be on the table you know here and what needs discussing is is simply making it an option to live out many do it illegally uh, and many employers prefer it they don't want you know someone around 24/7 um and you know people can complain we haven't got the space it's too expensive but those who are living out now tend to live in more dormitory situations it it, it it's not you know grim cage home situation it tends to be up in the new territories or whatever, and they, and they share, and and they prefer it, and sometimes their employers do. So four give people helpers. the option. Some prefer, most prefer, in fact, um, according to surveys by admission for migrant workers, to to live in because mm. you also get bored. Yes, um, that's right. I, I help as our series of helpers. They've all eaten. Uh, we go to the supermarket together. It's been yeah. a social revolution. In the old days, you gave the the helper a, a, a shopping list and some money mm. and you sit in front of the TV and watch sport or something. Nowadays, uh, she gives me a list and I yeah. have to drive <laughs> to well, the supermarket. Part of the family, right? <laughs> yes. You, you, you should do, do your ordering online, park and shop. Yeah. Mike. Uh, Add it to your bookmark bar. <laughs> no, I, I actually like to go around physically yeah. and see what uh, what's available. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, she's—I was just laughing at that because she gives me a list, and then I have to drive her there and drive her back and help well, her run those. Obviously, running the show, she knows what you need, so you end up doing the shopping. I think you got it the wrong way around, but no yes, way. but not for the first time. Uh, not on the only area of life I got. But but, it, but I mean, well, even with food, quite mm. often, certainly with Eriwana, it's it's substandard. It's not enough, or um. Or, or certain domestic workers are only allowed, you know, what's left over at, at the end of dinner. It's, uh, right. But how do you regulate these things? Yes. Inspections and stuff. You it's can't. very tough. You couldn't do it. Well, well, I'm less sure about the the two week rule mm. because I'm I have been a victim of abuse the other way around. Yeah. Uh, sort of helpers getting a signature on a piece of paper and then disappearing. Yeah. Well, the problem is, immigration have admitted to us um, that. Um, it can take much more than two weeks to process a new visa. Um, and people have to go and reset it. They have to go to Macau or back home. Um, and to do all that in two weeks is not possible. So this entraps domestic workers in, in those abusive situations because mm-hmm. um, they know they'd pretty much have to go home pretty much empty-handed as well with all that debt. Um, so the very least, I think, should be discussed is extending it. Do you, do you find the Hong Kong media are sympathetic in this area? It's improved. Um, I, I would hope to think that our, our multimedia kind of campaign had, had a little something to do with it. But also, I, I think it's just the nature of these high-profile cases. Um, there, there is, there's been more of a focus, I think it's fair to say, in the SEMP and other places in the last year or so, and it's being treated a bit more carefully. There was think- a study I've seen mm. from HKU, actually, that, that actually looked at at about six months' worth of coverage in the Apple Daily and the SCMP and others before any of these torture cases, um, recent ones, uh, came up. And it showed that the language they used and the, um, the stories they focused on uh, tended to promote stereotypes. But um, I, from what I've seen, I, I really think it's, it's improving. Do you think, in, in a sense, that the high-profile torture cases have helped to get uh, more balanced coverage? 
I think because yes, it's sparking debate about it, and and right. but it's amazing how much debate you can have and how much protest often in Hong Kong about anything, and and nothing really changes. It's meant to work like this, right? That we have the debate. There's loads of media coverage. And and things change. They're brought up in Legco. But, things um, change for the better, I suppose. Yeah, to I, I mean, about a year ago, I picked up – I found a story online. It was on the SCMP and it talked about uh, domestic worker NGOs um, wanting uh, a pay rise, um, the living rule to be scrapped. Um, I looked at the date and it was from 1993. So very little seems to change. And on this topic, this is why we, we, we chose this topic when we set up HK Helpers campaign. There just seems to have been no movement. You are seeing movement on, on, on poverty somewhat and, and on refugees. There's been improvement very mildly, you know, in their plight. But on domestic workers, what's changed since Eriwana? Nothing. Yeah, but the answer, the answer to that would be, well, we, we're right. We got it right. Why should we change it? What, got what right? <laughs> <laughs> the two-week rule and the live-in requirement. It's a mess, isn't it? <laughs> and and we, like you say, it's the, the media have, have, have exposed this and it's embarrassing on the, on the international platform that we still have these archaic rules. I think the more embarrassing one this week has been the uh, international coverage of the policeman who was assaulted by the woman's breast. Mm, breast assault, yeah. I... I even late-night comedy shows, uh, it's Conan O'Brien. Conan O'Brien, right. I, I don't write about this because mm. whenever I sit down in front of my uh, computer... We have to think, keep abreast of the situation, thinking, Yeah, exactly. I mean, the number of awful uh, puns and, and <laughs> just trip off, the, trip off yeah. the tongue, don't they? It's so, inevitable. And like Conan said, you know, he's demanded an apology and, and that she do it again. <laughs> <laughs> Laughing stock, though, isn't it? It is a laughing stock. Things like this. But Uh, but there is actually a very serious issue behind it. What the magistrate seemed to be saying was, look, she made a false claim of indecent assault and she made that claim loudly in in a very tense situation, a very dynamic situation of a a crowd uh, struggling with the police. And she's suddenly shouting, oh, you know, he's he's assaulted me, he's touched my... Well, why isn't that the case? Why isn't that be debated in court? Exactly. I mean, because that apparently was what influenced him with the the sentencing. Well, if it's, you know, if it's true, that that should be a separate charge. This was assault. Yes. And and when you contrast that with, with, you know, another video of this police officer, you know, wielding this baton... In, into uh, well, you know, people who clearly aren't resisting and are just moving on. I, you have to wonder about double standards. Well, I wondered about the seven uh, people who, again, subject to a video, seven police officers beating a social activist. Yeah. No question about what happened, what took place. So you have that case and contrast it with, you know, the, 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 the teenager who was, you know, graffitiing an umbrella on the... Um, on the former Lennon Wall at government headquarters. Oh, my, 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 my contrast I think they were arrested. Was, was with the two mainland students uh, engaged in uh, <laughs> right. exciting activity yeah. uh, to celebrate his birthday or something. Couldn't wait, couldn't wait to find a room. So, um, you know, all, all this is all f- forgivable if things are, 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 are treated with consistency. Now, you mentioned the uh, Hong Kong News survey just now, which, of course, Hong Kong News has been in the news this week mm. um, with the aftermath of the... Uh, I, what, what, what's the line of the media here? Now, there's a, been a, a committee has recommended the appointment of Johannes Tan uh, to a particular position. Um, the full council has neither ter- rejected the recommendation nor accepted it. It just keeps to be postponing Deferred, it. yeah. Defer, defer, defer. 
Um, how's the media playing with this? Have they got bored with it yet? Are they still going? I have little time to read any media, but uh, my own, uh, which we're putting out. But I think there is a duty in, in these cases to um, break it down and explain, you know, how these things work because it's quite complicated mm. and, um, and and what's gone wrong. But there is this wider kind of fear that these institutions in Hong Kong are somewhat under attack. Um, and we're just seeing this sort of erosion or integration um, in, into into the mainland system. I saw, I saw, yes, I saw Rita Fan quoted in the papers saying that it's impossible to change the situation of the chief executive being the uh, head of all the universities. Um, to which my mind is, why is it impossible? Yeah, nothing's impossible. <laughs> Anson Chan has an op-ed, I think, last night in the, in the SCMP and I think makes fair points that perhaps the the way the students went about it, um, in, it with the, the kerfuffles um, last week um, are questionable, but what they're saying is not. Um, there are questions that need answering. But, uh, you know, as much as people are getting in a flap about the students' behaviour, it's what students do, isn't it? Throughout, throughout history, um, that's what they're meant to do. They're kind of doing their job and, and causing trouble like that. Um, it's, it's not that unusual, but something, something's gone wrong and it needs fixing. Right. M- meanwhile, in, in the background, we've been... The saga of the lead in the water mm. just won't stop. It, lead Watergate. It, it, ro- it rolls and rolls on. It flows. We, we almost even. did a live blog because there were so many little updates. Another estate, another estate. Another public estate, another public estate, and now private estates. Uh, yeah. Caldicott, uh, high. No one's immune. No one's immune. Very expensive. And yet it's clearly been many years of, of neglect. It's, it's either the pipes or it's the soldering of the pipes, mm. or it's the taps. After I wrote a column about this, I actually had an email from a lady in Sweden who, who said that they'd had a similar episode in their country and that the source of the lead was found to be actually the taps yeah. in, in people's homes, not, not, the, not the pipes or the soldering. So uh, I just th- think we re- badly need to, to investigate this right the way through. From the time the water leaves the treatment centre... Mm. Right the way to it, because I still drink two glasses of water every morning from the tap. Um, not get a, boiled. Get a not, filter, filter Mike. <laughs> no, That's what we do. Not filtered, not boiled. Two glasses of water straight from the tap, and it, it's. I'm sure I've got immunity to everything now. Yeah, well, you you, you seem pretty healthy, aside <laughs> from that weird twitch. Yeah. But, um, the other the other thing that uh, stru- really struck me in the last uh, twenty four forty eight hours was this shock. And in a sense, it's a, a part of the same exercise, I think, of this dirty linen uh, mm. going into the hospital. It, 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 it's obviously that it hasn't been cleaned properly for years. And, yeah. you're, now, and you're now getting uh, – suddenly there's an investigation that says, well, they're not, they're not washing it at the right temperature. They're not killing uh, all, all the bad stuff in there. They're packing it while it's still warm. It's no, no wonder um, that, that you're getting this uh, – uh, mm. And it seems to me that maybe we've become a little bit casual. It's, it, it has this underlying narrative, doesn't it, that it's all hitting the fan. For some reason, it's all, you know, blowing up. But uh, normally in the summer, you have what we call the silly season. Yeah. Where something that wouldn't normally make the news makes the news. But these are real stories mm. in any time. Yeah, and there's always these incremental updates to it. I mean, for me, the link is, is well, certainly with the hospitals, I've had to go to Queen Elizabeth a couple of times.
because traveling with dengue fever from East Timor the other year and nine hours waiting, you know, in A&E mm. and, and there's cleanliness issues. I don't understand um, why, why these facilities are, are so underfunded when there's a massive surplus. Likewise, the government can more than afford to, to roll out tests across the board with, with the lead water thing. Um, at all the public housing skates and, and, and beyond, seems, since it seems, I think it costs two or three hundred dollars. I don't think it's a question of cost. I think it's a question of laboratory capacity. And they've got, so they're prioritizing. Mm. But I mean, things like the bacteria in the linen, in the hospital linen, these have actually caused serious health issues to, to patients in the hospital. We've had similar things in, in Britain, scandals over cleanliness because things are being outsourced. And, and this was one, you know, external um, dry cleaning company. Who, and again, this is the carryover from water mm. and the hospital bed linen. Who is monitoring the implementation of those contracts? It's when it goes to the lowest common, you know, denominator. Right, the cheapest option. It's the cheapest option, but there is someone employed by the government in the government. Mm. There's an army of people in the housing department supposed to be monitoring projects under construction. Mm. You, you can't just suddenly inject lead into things. It must have been there. So people weren't testing it. Yeah, People weren't monitoring it. It's you, the same with the, with the linen. People have apparently, I read again in the, in the media, that, oh, we, we go every month at least once to inspect the laundry. Well, that's terrific. You've been going there every month for 10 years. How come this bacteria-laden uh, linen is still making its way back to the hospital? Mm. Yeah. Silly season isn't so silly this year, is it? Silly season isn't so silly this year. That's probably a good note on which to thank Tom. Thanks for having me.